Welcome to the Proletarian Contrarian, the leftist podcast dedicated to the reevaluation of your favorite crappy films. I'm Nick. And I'm Lewis. And uh, folks, we wanted to bring you a contemporary film. Um, we don't do those very often, but this film is actually in theaters right now. Um, it is the 2020 Call of the Wild starring Harrison Ford. Uh, oh, wait. Uh, sorry, I'm getting word from the producers here. Oh, uh, sorry. Actually, uh, this is uh, this is from 1972. Uh, it is Call of the Wild, uh, and it is starring Charlton Heston, folks. God damn it. The, the fucking intern fucked up again. Damn. They, sc- well, maybe <laughs> they screwed we should up. Pay them. They... Maybe they would do better. <laughs> pay your interns, No, folks. no, no, no. <laughs> Just like um, the Young Turks, we're not going to let our staff unionize. So um, <laughs> that's what happens. Then you lose your uh, your uh, bid for a uh, 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 state seat. Was it state something? State? Yeah, state congressional. Yeah, whatever. whatever. Yeah, that bullshit. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> anyway, Call the Wild, 1972. <laughs> um, this was kind of a random. Well, we had this we kind of just like randomly threw it into our rotation, but then we picked it specifically for this episode because of the, obviously it's topical. The, the ridiculous looking Harrison Ford version is out right now. Yes. Um, with like a CGI dog. I CGI think, dog. Is- <laughs> yeah. There's actually a man. Uh, I think he's like a stunt guy who does uh, the motion capture. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So yeah, it's not like he's not just looking at like a, a piece of foam. Like he is looking at a person uh, doing dog motions, which uh, is amazing, and I can't wait to watch that on DVD just for the extra features. I can't, I can't wait to watch any behind the scenes of just like Harrison Ford clearly baked out of his mind. Yes, just like staring at some some like I don't know. I'm, I'm picturing like a European like performance artist like just being like, I must embody yeah. the dog. I must become the dog, <laughs> and like taking it super seriously. In scruffy Harrison Ford who hasn't shaved in like a month, just like, come on, dog. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I would love to know why he did this movie. Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, the maybe dude, he, he loves the book. He, I don't know. I I could I could actually see Harrison Ford being a huge Jack London fan, and I could um, I know he I know he still does like the Indiana Jones movies because he just thinks they're fun. Yeah, like he just loves doing that shit. So like, I I could see him taking a similar approach with this kind of thing. Yeah, I can see him actually having like a very like um almost like hippie way to him almost like yes. he always wears like those weird like bracelets like those like hemp yeah. bracelets all the time like he seems and, like a really weird guy and he has um he has i think multiple ear like ear piercings yes, which is he like does you, yeah you wouldn't think of that like <laughs> yeah. looking at like indiana jones or han solo but yeah he he has that um he has like that boomer kind of back to nature sensibility about yeah, him. I think so. I mean, I think there's probably a little bit of like new agey in there as well. I mean, um, yeah. he spent so much time in California. I mean, you know, mm. it's unavoidable yeah. during, especially during the period of time he lived there. So sure. For sure. Um, um but yeah, but this, is, call the wild. this is not <laughs> that call of the wild. Um, this no. is the oldest film that we have reviewed so far in 1972. Um, I've been meaning to pick an older film. Uh, it just so happened to be this one. (laughs) Yeah. I I appreciate it on that alone because it it definitely felt very different than a lot of the stuff that we watch for the show. Um, I guess we will, we'll get into that because there's a lot of things that I liked that it was so different than like a more contemporary piece. Um, but the 72 movie was directed by (laughs) this guy named, I shit you not, Ken Anakin, last name Anakin. (laughs) 
Um, Spelled with an extra a- N, though, right? Yeah, yeah. capital A-N-N-A-K-I-N. But uh, it, it's very close. Um, there is a hilarious mention on his Wikipedia page that after he died, um, a lot of people were asking, oh, is this where George Lucas got the name from? <laughs> and so Lucasfilm released a statement saying no. No. And tell us where he did get the name Anakin from, Nick. (laughs) So George Lucas, to the best of my knowledge, claims that the name Anakin came from the Sanskrit, like, great warrior or something, (laughs) that he read it in a poem, which is bullshit. bullshit. I don't know where he got it, but, like, (laughs) George Lucas is, he's the original, like, orientalist weeb. Oh, um, yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, he obviously got it from this guy. Like, if it... It might have been like no. unconscious, like it's just like he, but he got it from this guy's name, like a hundred. I don't know. I, I would be willing to bet he got the name from like a Joseph Campbell lecture that he he read because he was in he's that's like the kind of nerd shit that he's into, and like maybe Campbell referenced it in one of his Sarah Lawrence like lectures or something. That's fair. It's possible, but also yeah. like I mean, he's such a cinephile, like. He definitely would be familiar with the filmography of Ken Anakin. Yeah, because um, as we were saying before we started the show, um, th- this guy has had a crazy career. Prolific. I mean, he started in World War II making propaganda films for Britain. And then mm-hmm. he went on to make films for Disney, actually. He made um, The Quite Story of Robin Hood and His Merry Men and um, The Swiss Family Robinson and some others. But those are the big ones. Yeah, those are the two big ones. Um, he made he, some World War II uh, fictionalized versions of like big battles, like um, the the Longest Day, which is about D Day, and, and the Battle of mm-hmm. the Bulge. Um, he made a South African western called The Hellions, uh, which you can find it online, and there are no black people in it at all. <laughs> uh, I mean, and in in a very uncomfortable and in cynical way that is not inappropriate for a film about south africa but like, no and especially in 1961 it's i mean yeah, it's, it's very appropriate at that point in time jesus jesus christ yeah um in the his, his last completed film was the new adventures of pippi longstocking so like this guy's just like ricocheting from like cynical journeyman work for disney world war ii propaganda like world war ii recreations of that propaganda um African erase like erasure of African people in a South African movie, and then to Pippi Longstocking is yeah. his last. It's movie. pretty wild. And then um, his true last film, which was unfortunately unfinished, um, bringing it the all Holy back Grail. to the shadow here, folks. Uh, it yes. was a Genghis Khan uh, biopic, uh, starring mm-hmm. Richard Tyson, who's the bad guy from Kindergarten Cop, um, <laughs> as Genghis Khan. Okay. So a very Jesus. white man from, I believe, Alabama. <laughs> as Genghis mm-hmm. Khan. Um, mm-hmm. And then Charlton Heston, the star of the film we are reviewing today, would have played uh, Togrul Khan. Don't know who that is, but it's a real person. It's probably Genghis Khan's father. Like, I, in- I'm not sure if it's his father, but like it's uh, someone related. I, I, I did uh, some research and I didn't do, uh, I didn't go very far in that research. So, Imagine just like, 1992 is late like it's still the 90s so like it was still like a racist time but like that's late to do yeah. a a white guy as genghis khan movie <laughs> yeah it's pretty crazy i mean i uh i don't know it, he's british he's old i'm not surprised by it 
Um, oh, for sure. I just, I, I guess, I just mean like for that concept to even get funding in '92, right. or, or I guess like in in '90 or '91 when it was under production. Yeah, pretty um, incredible. But I mean, yeah. if we look at the film that we're reviewing today, it's not surprising that this guy just gets funding for whatever nonsense he wants to make, basically. Um, just he seems like a general work for hire guy. Like he'll he'll have he'll find scripts that he he'll attach himself to and then this shit will just get made no matter what he does. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this film was um made in Finland, Norway, and Spain with a predominantly European crew um mm. who did not speak English for the most part either is my understanding. And who, to the best of our knowledge, which admittedly isn't very best because we just do five minutes of research (laughs) on IMDb, um, we can't find many names of people who worked in this movie. Almost Um, if if you can find more than 50, I'd be surprised. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. If you can find more than 20, I'd be surprised. Like we have, we have obviously the director, we have a few names, we have a few producers, um, a few production credits, and then we have the cast and um, that's really it. You know, even at the end credits of the film, it's predominantly the cast listed yep. and then one or two production, um, like below the line production, um, like grips and stuff like that. But uh, mm-hmm. it's 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 pretty slim. Um, yeah. And I just I guess those records, I don't know. No one gives a shit about them. So no one's put them online. And I mean, it, it very well could have been like a shoestring production um like a, like a skeleton crew kind of thing because there was a lot of travel involved it looks like like a lot of actual travel through backcountry of these of these countries um not the actual yukon but um yeah getting getting back to the cast we have uh charlton heston um notably the only english-speaking member of the cast um which i'm sure he was delighted with <laughs> when he was actually <laughs> shooting this oh my god um then we have Michelle Mercier, uh, Raymond Harmstorff. Okay, so bear with me on these some of these names here. Amazing. <laughs> these European names. Uh, George Eastman, Maria Rahm, John Lewis Galeadro, Sancho Gra- Gracia, Fred H- Fredhelm Lehman, Horst Hewick, Rick Pataglia, Alfredo Mayo. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best ones. <laughs> That's really good. <laughs> and then Severe Wilberg. Sver Sver Wilberg. Yeah. Okay, so that wasn't too bad. No, it wasn't terrible. Um It was worth it for Alfredo May. I just saw that before we started recording and I was so excited for you to get there. <laughs> Alfredo Mayo. Oh my god. It's Alfredo Mayo Pete right here. Alfredo Mayo. It's unfortunate he doesn't play the character Pete. There is a character named Pete in this. Oh. There's a character named Pete. Yeah. Missed opportunity. Um, if only they would have known. <laughs> that would have been too good. <laughs> Um, so yeah, th- this movie is a pretty straight adaptation of the source material. Uh, did you ever read Call of the Wild? I have not read anything by Jack London. Um, mm, I don't know if, uh, you remember, but I am illiterate and I never right. read things. <laughs> yeah. So I read comic books <laughs> because there are photos. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, <laughs> I guess they're called I, pictures, I kind of have but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of have a soft spot for Jack London. He, um... He, I, I don't know if I'd call him like a great writer. I would call him certainly, certainly competent. He's certainly skilled at his craft. Um, he's kind of like the proto Hemingway, like uh, the like very manly. The idea of like grace under pressure. The idea of like it's it's man in his own 
his own uh, mind and his own will versus um, this cold world that that he has to react to and that he has to operate within. Um, he was a socialist. He was a socialist when he was younger. Huh. Um, one, once he started really writing, just like churning shit out, he became for the time the highest pa- the highest paid author in America. Wow! And he kind of sold out. He's a class trader. Um, he was he never became like anti-socialist, but he was like, oh, I did it correctly, and all these other young people have to come up and and make their way. Sure, sure. Um, so, yeah. So like with with when the money started rolling in, he he definitely. Uh, figured out where where his bread was buttered um and he was a prolific alcoholic as well insisting until the end of his life that he was not which is as sure a sign as any i think um and he he died pretty young um i, th- I want to say he was like in his 50s when he passed away hmm. and it was because his health was just so awful because right. of years of um, self self-medicating with with booze and other questionable like tinctures at the time or whatever damn um yeah he i want to say he died in the 20s he died like he died before uh, things got bad in Europe in in the Second World War, like before, like that whole lost generation thing kind of really had sure. a chance to congeal. Um, and and w- th- one of the books I'm reading right now is actually about Jack London, and like the author's like, oh, if if he had lived longer, if he had gotten this kind of health stuff under control, uh, maybe he could have got, gone on to become like a truly generational talent um, instead of kind of the niche that he occupies now. But uh, all that said, I do I do appreciate London. I do appreciate his at least his earlier philosophies in regards to socialism and nature. Um, and I do think that this movie is a very accurate and good um, adaptation of of the story, not just like play by play, but also tonally and also thematically. Hmm. Nice, nice. Um, all I have to say about that is that he <laughs> only diverges from Hemingway. Um, I guess in two ways. One is that he writes more about dogs than people. Yes. Um, and Hemingway liked cats. So it's, the, it's just a cat-dog divide, really. Yeah, because they're both these alcoholic man's men who love to go on adventures and shit. They just, one preferred cats and one preferred dogs. Yeah, yeah. Hemingway had like a shit ton of cats in his house before he died. Yeah, um, when he lived on the Key West in Florida, um, he introduced a species, a subspecies of cats that had six toes. And um, yeah, if you go that's down, right. the, oh yeah, yeah, if yeah. you go into the Keys now, <laughs> there's like a a fairly sizable population of six-toed cats called the Hemingway cats. Amazing, yeah, because they they escape and they they breed and shit. So because this film is before the year 1990. Nine, which is, I believe, when Rotten Tomatoes went online, um, it is mm-hmm. uh, significantly harder to find reviews of. Um, it um, yes. does not have a tomato meter score. It has a forty-five percent <laughs> audience score, however, um, a generous amount of reviews. Actually, around four thousand audience reviews. I was surprised by that. Wow. Um, yeah, I guess just you know, Trout and Heston, popular book is popular. Um, yeah, that's true. But uh, also no budget, uh, no box office data either. So um, IMDb bought out Box Office Mojo a few years ago. Uh, they had nothing on this film. I tried to do a little more research. Uh, nothing. I did find a review by uh, the by Variety, the magazine Variety, and just a staff review. Doesn't have a name to it. Just says staff review. Um, <laughs> and I had to look in a film database to find that, and not just internet movie. <laughs> 
uh, database. Like I had to go Jesus. to like a, like an academic database to find this information. <laughs> and it's a wow. capsule review. So it's a very small review. <laughs> okay. Okay. I mean, it's worth you take it away, please. This is yeah. this is some hard hitting journalism, <laughs> film journalism. So this is just Variety staff. Jack London's thrilling, often filmed tale trails a couple of roughnecks, John and Peter, on their gold-digging, mail-hopping, and booze-deal fortune hunts in Alaska's snowbound wilderness. Alaska and Canada, right? It's both. Um, the Yukon specifically, I, I'm, I'm sure, yeah. It, it, well, because the be. Mounties, they have the, like, the, the mounted police. Right, the, yes, and, like, the, the gold territory wouldn't be restricted to, like, just like the 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 imposed like borders between nations right, you know exactly yeah so take that variety staff um so <laughs> they, they continue <laughs> uh time and again they are outsmarted and outruffed by an assorted pack of rivals director ken anakin skywalker picked a few good actors charlton <laughs> heston and italia western hero george eastman and some others capable of no more than looking their parts um that is a bold statement there mm-hmm. um Thus lacking the density of London's original, the picture falls to pieces with all that frozen gore, dog fights, sled chases, saloon brawls, and other knockdown melodramatics. It's interesting because this a lot of the a lot of the reviews you that you pull, they're like specifically for reasons because we disagree with them and we explain why. Um for this one, it's like I, I don't think this person understood that the dog is the main <laughs> character, not <laughs> not John and Pete. <laughs> That's possible. Just um, I don't think this person read the book. Um, correct. I think this person just like grew up watching Rin Tin and Tin and uh, hated the dog. I guess I don't know. Yeah, I think this person might just or be something. a cat person. I don't know. Um, yeah, this person prefers Hemingway. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's um, like I I get that Charlton Heston. He's kind of like he kind of like he has such a presence like he kind of overwhelms everything else but like it's obviously about the dog right like that's that's not hard to pick up no i don't think so. i think it's pretty obvious i mean the dog yeah. bookends the film um mm-hmm. there's long stretches of just the dog um where we don't even see charlton heston for that matter um yeah and i don't i don't really understand that thus lacking the density of london's original the picture falls to pieces by having parts of the novel in it like i don't it's like i i mean by have these these are things in, in are in the like, novel i imagine these these the frozen gore the dog fights the sled chases the saloon brawls and the knockdown melodramatics like i'm sure that's all in the novel it is and like that's really it's presented really viscerally and really like impactfully and claiming like that it lacks the the quote-unquote density of london's original like besides that stuff it's just kind of like descriptions of nature and philosophical musings therein um yeah i i given like that catalog that the reviewer just lists like i don't know what else they were looking for just like besides what they just said yeah i'm not sure um i think there were a few other versions as they say you know uh the oft film tale so uh, i believe Mm. there were silent versions um and i think there's a version in the 50s as well um so you know i imagine these versions um might be a little more elegant um you know they might not show things um so viscerally um sure. you know i mean this film is a 70s film it's filmed in uh europe um so it, you know it's kind of allowed to do the crazy shit 
I mean, granted by this right. time also in America, they're doing crazy shit. Um, but this film, I mean, this film f- feels like a, basically a, a, like a spaghetti Western version of this story. It yes. Um, it, it really, it really does. You know, especially cause like basically everybody, but, uh, but Heston is dubbed. Um, some of them probably speak oh. English, but they, it's not their first language by any means. Right. Like it's, it's really the, the dubbing, like I, I don't think it's a problem. It was just, it was just like a convention for the time, but it's extremely noticeable. Yeah. Yeah. Once someone speaks who is not Charlton Heston, which I mean, the first few characters who speak are not Charlton Heston. Um, it's, right. uh, it's pretty glaring from then on, but it's great. I don't give a shit. Um, I mean, I, I'm desensitized to it. I've, I grew up watching uh, spaghetti Westerns. Right. So sure. But yeah, um, I mean, it's one of those things that that's like, I would I would say I was gonna say subtitles, but I think subtitles at least come to me more naturally than hearing dubbing. Um, but like Weeb. once you get over the initial, <laughs> once you get over the initial discomfort, like or surprise, it just kind of hap- It happens naturally. Um, and actually, I will defend dubbing on anime grounds. Like I, I think they can be uh, done effectively, and subtitles are not always better. So come at me, weebs. Wow. Yeah. Wow, our social media is just going to blow up next Monday when we yeah. air this one, that's for sure. <laughs> Procon is pro-dubs <laughs> and pro-subs. Oh, wow. Um, the middle ground. <laughs> yeah. Um, Another unfortunate aspect of this movie being filmed when and where it was is, like, they they definitely abused all these dogs, right? Like, th- these dogs were not well-treated oh, during production. I mean, there's some shots where I'm just like, I don't know how you fake some of the like wax yeah. with like a stick into a dog's face. I just do not know how you can fake it yeah. as, as, as well, they didn't. I mean, there's just no way they didn't. It's, it's real. maybe they used like a soft stick or something, but they were hit. They were like, yeah. So I, I guess like content warning, if you're planning on watching this movie there, there is very, uh, seemingly realistic and probably real, uh, animal abuse in this movie. Yeah. I mean, yeah, maybe they use like a, a soft like foam stick or something. I don't know, but I mean, it just it, it looks super real. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, some of the gore like is obviously fake, but also sometimes I thought the gore might have been real. Like, yeah, it's tough. Um, it's tough to see the difference sometimes. So I guess props to the nameless um, like prop department. Yeah, maybe ho- hopefully. Yeah, literally, we uh, could so- not find a single person in the props department. Like. Yeah, there was. I think maybe a production designer, but that was it. Um, but yeah, besides that dog thing, there's nothing I really disliked about this movie. And actually, because this is the abused dog movie, it, it really is the Mayo Pete movie. Oh my god, <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> I didn't even put that together. Oh my god. Oh, I, I it just came to me now. Like we had already moved past like the dogs. I'm like, I gotta get this in. Um. Oh, but you do mention yeah, and I, I did notice this too. The aspect ratio is just like all over the place yeah it's a one three three one um which is basically like full screen um pretty standard for kind of a filmmaking before 1972 1972 there would have been more widescreen definitely um i don't know what's going on with this uh, aspect ratio i mean again i think it's just a shoestring budget they didn't give a shit this movie was released in america three years after it was released in Europe. So 1972 it's released in Europe, then 3 years later it's released in America. Um so I I don't know. I mean, I 
I think it would have been, I would have liked it just a, a bit more if it was like, I don't know, like a cinema scope panorama type film. But, um, I mean, I still think like the, the shots of nature, the vistas are, are gorgeous. Um, but mm -hmm. I don't know. It's just sometimes the aspect ratio took me out and I, I looked to see if it was the right aspect ratio. I looked there's a YouTube version of the movie. I didn't watch it there because the aspect ratio was bad. There was like a daily motion mm -hmm. version of the video. I was like, nope, not going to watch it there. Am this was, was on Amazon. Yeah. Um, that's how I watched it too. I, I didn't even think to look if, look for it on YouTube, but um, yeah, it was, it was a little distracting. It, it like after a while, I just like didn't even notice it anymore. Um, but it was there. And yeah, it's especially with such like a, a subject that's so, heavily invested in in like the sweeping panoramic views like that that really is at odds with what they did yeah but my understanding is this is what they shouted so really strange anyway so the the basic story of call of the wild is it follows a um a husky dog um buck who um is it's actually not a California. husky in the story because i looked this up it's a saint bernard collie mix a scottish collie slash St. Bernard mm. mix, which is what it is in the Harrison Ford movie. It is not that in this movie, however. <laughs> yes. And I, after I gave my little spiel, I was going to go do some live action research, but thank you for co-opting me. <laughs> that was good. Yeah, it's, I'm glad we didn't have to It's do, German Shepherd in this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, dog, dog, fucking dog breeds. Like that. that's weird eugenesis shit. I hate that crap. Yes, it is. Um, um, there are plenty of huskies in this movie because they play all the wolves in this film. <laughs> yes, and it's very apparent that they're not wolves, but like it's... <laughs> But take it away um, with the bare bones plot here. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, j just Buck is abducted from the rich family that owns him in California and he's shipped up the coast to Alaska and he becomes um enmeshed in the life on on the yukon um as a as a dog sled uh dog as a sled dog um he kind of runs runs afoul of a bunch of bad humans and bad dogs but he oh i won't spoil it we'll get there in time uh there are no bad dogs there's only bad humans <laughs> there are bad wolves too. Oh, actually there's a bad dog there's one bad dog Spitz. yeah i mean Spitz yeah there's, pretty the, bad. there's a villain yeah. dog yeah um but the implication is he turned that way because of human abuse yeah that's true that is true so uh mm -hmm. folks if you're thinking about getting a pit bull uh great animals uh you know it's not the pit bull it's uh the uh person who trained it so mm -hmm. that's our uh psa from PETA today <laughs> that's true that's true um so yeah when we start off uh it takes place do they i don't think they specify but it's in california right? i believe it's california no i don't think they say yeah. um i assume it's probably it, like it san francisco or somewhere northern california it must be because that, that's where london's from he he like he's very much associated with san francisco okay gotcha yeah yeah um and yeah the, like the class politics are already pretty pretty um apparent from the beginning because um buck is owned by two little girls and their wealthy grandfather um, but like the scheming, like dusky manservant yes. is like Manuel. He, he is actually like yes. Latino. Uh, mm -hmm. They don't they don't gloss over that. Yeah, they don't at all. They don't hide it. And like he he like the the little girl's like, oh Manuel, pick up my dolly. And then he like he he like creeps over. He's like rubbing his hands together. He's like look, he's like has a scowl on his face. It's real. It's like okay, we get it. Yeah, it's and then he kicks over the doll carriage. That was incredible. Yes, that was 
Yes. Hell yeah. Good job, Manuel. <laughs> um, but he overhears the grandfather talking to some other douchebag about um, the current gold rush that's going on. Um, and it, it's very exposition-like. He's like, oh, yeah, up in the Yukon, they'll they'll pay you $100 for a good sled dog. That's right. $100. Like, he, he emphasizes that. Yeah. And then we get a yeah, reaction they're shot. reading from the newspaper Manuel. about all that stuff. And he says, like, uh, a dog, a good dog is worth its weight in gold. Um, right. And they're talking about, like, all the newspaper ads that are, you know, advertising other bullshit, like uh, going up in a hot air balloon or, like, a steam plow and stuff like that. And he's like, nope, you got to do it by dog. And then, yeah. Right. Um, and I thought that was interesting, too. And, and we see this later on in the film, too. But, like, rich people who are, like, enamored by this, uh, this like, sense of adventure. Um, yes. The adventure and also getting more money too. Like, I mean, the kid who's yep. talking, he's to, he's talking to the fail son, like his nephew or whatever. Like, he is sure. interested in doing it for also the money. And it's just like, don't you have enough? Um, I think the idea is like, like the gold bug was was very much a thing. Like, and and so Jack London he he like ran away from home when he was 16 so he and like he worked on a sh- like a like a fishing ship and he did all this adventure shit so he was very much used to the like living like roughing it he was very much used to like living in the Yukon and in other extreme areas um and a big thing that he saw and a big thing that I think um really fomented the the class politics in his own head was he would see people do this in real life like he would see well-off people um either like just middle-class bougie people or, or wealthy people like look to go adventuring um either in the hopes of finding more money as in the case with the gold rush in the yukon or just as a means of like vicarious like crazy experiential living um yeah i mean i'm not denying that like that. it exists i'm just saying like it is it's crazy also that they would do it for the money as well as the adventure um right. i mean obviously like, there's right. stuff like you know, uh, the whole idea of climbing Mount Everest, right? I mean, that always started mm-hmm. from, like, you know, aristocrats. Like, I mean, British aristocrats who wanted the adventure of climbing Mount Everest. And now it's, like, right. this cottage industry. I mean, it's, like, you have to have, I think, like, $60,000 to even, like, attempt to, to get to, like, the base camp at Mount Everest, right? Sure, um, sure. But it's also, I, but it, I mean, it is legitimately presented, especially later in the movie when we meet um mercedes and her brother hal uh, who are incredible and i just want to give you a little tease of them but i mean like they are really interested in like making more money as well on top of like the thousands that they already had to get there well i think um that was a big um part of the of the gold bug fever the idea that there was so much gold out in the untamed wilderness that it would be worth any fortune to make that much more fortune right um and and that was a just a, a fundamental misunderstanding of like the status of this unta- quote unquote untamed wilderness, this virginal land. Like there is gold, there is and there was gold out there, but it was never as much as people thought. Um, and it, it's that kind of inexperience that like led people to think that it, it was like kind of like El Dorado, right? Like this idea that like yeah, you you have a fortune now, but there's always more. There's always there's always another vista to earn. Right. Yeah. Um, so basically this film kind of encapsulates that mindset pretty perfectly yeah. in, I yes. mean, just like three or four scenes throughout this movie. Um, we, like mm-hmm. we said, we have this scene with this, this fail son and his grandfather or I don't know, uncle or whatever the relationship is, yeah. whatever, who cares? 
um, and of course we see it later. Um, but yeah, so in this moment, there these 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 two rich, rich aristocrats from San Francisco are talking about going to the Yukon. Um, they all go to bed for the night, and Manuel, uh, schemy Manuel, uh, gets a. And I thought this was amazing. This is out of fucking Looney Tunes. Um, he gets a steak, and he puts it. Uh, he wraps a string around the steak, and he yes. throws it at Buck, the German Shepherd. And then he pulls it away, and Buck uh, just you know trots on over, and he grabs him by the collar, and uh, thus the story begins. He uh, yeah. he then sells Buck into the uh, dog trading economy. Um, mm-hmm. In I guess it, it looked like San Francisco. It was a port town, and it would it would make sense. It's where Jack London's from, and like I I can't imagine it like the actual Call of the Wild wouldn't be wouldn't start there. Right. Yeah. Um, so and then this is another aspect that's interesting. So talk about class politics and and just um, a film that really I mean lends itself to a very interesting leftist read. Um, this next five minutes of this film, I guess, um, is all about how the dogs um, that we all know and love get to the Yukon. Um, so how did Balto get to the Yukon? Well, uh, we will tell you here. Uh, um, so Buck sold to dog traders. Um, and this is interesting. Manuel wants to sell Buck because he hears, you know, um, the master of the house say like, oh, you can get 100 to $300 for a dog. So Manuel thinks, oh, I can get a shit ton of money for this dog. Um, but mm-hmm. he is first offered $40 for the dog. And he's able uh, to get that up to $75. So he's only paid $75 for the dog. Um, and then the trader uh, puts the dog on a, a, a train, I think, and uh, we see him then sell the dog for that 300 So uh, someone right. is making $300 off of that dog, but it isn't Manuel. Um, and I thought that was a really interesting lesson um, in just capitalism, basically. And really quick, I did some uh, pro-con <laughs> live-action research. Um, Buck Buck lives uh, in the Santa Clara Valley. Okay, cool. Yeah, and uh, it starts in uh, 1897, just to give like a time frame of what right, else is going on. Right, yes. Yep. Um, but yeah, that whole uh, selling Buck sequence, um, it, it was really good, I thought, because like it, there, we spend some time... Um, like in the in the train cars and we see the outside of the train and we see i think at one point buck travels by boat yeah he um, does like it it does like a bunch of quick shots and they're never too quick but there's like a, a lot of gr- like ground literally covered um in a very few like short sequences like that um and it, it really sells like when people want to make money and like they have the means to do so like shit moves quick and like this efficiency of um got to speed it along got to like make sure the profits get where they need to go and like the resources get where they need to go um it, it, it was just conveyed very well in, like literally i don't know a 100 second sequence yeah no exactly i mean you got a real sense that like these dog traders have been doing this for a long time and they know how mm-hmm. to do it they know where to yeah. stop which port towns to stop in you know which uh which which at which railroad locations they, they'll get a dog and then who yeah. to sell it to you know um like yep. the dog traders knew men well by name you know like they know who's gonna be able to get a dog for them um then the, the mm-hmm. old lady they they get 
they sell the dog to at the end of the line. Like it's just, yeah, it was a really interesting economy of dog trading. Um, and I mean, I literally knew nothing about this movie. So I was like, this yeah. is so cool. I didn't know they would go into this <laughs> kind of thing in this movie. I just thought it was like a guy on his mail route and he had a dog friend. I had no idea what this movie was about, folks. No, that's that's Balto. That's what you mentioned earlier. I really just thought this movie um, was Balto. And also, we're not projecting too much into it because Jack London wrote this when he was young and he was like a fiery socialist. So like this this class analysis was intended to be there. I, I feel I feel fairly confident in saying. I will go with whatever you say about literary figures. <laughs> um so yeah eventually buck does get to alaska the yukon territory um and his owners are two guys um john thornton thornton and pete they're just two bumbling well they're not bumbling but they're just two 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 bros two two dudes yeah. rock two just it like is, this is very two, much a dudes rock film <laughs> i'm not gonna say low-key like homoerotic but like just very close and brotherly there's like an intimacy there that can only be forged on the trail and that like that kind of thing yeah yeah um although there's like there's some homoeroticism like there's one scene so pete and john are mail carriers from the town of skagway to dawson city uh in the yukon Mm -hmm. territory so it takes a lot of people like months to get there but on sled it can take you like a week or something like that um there's this one scene where they are sledding i think it might be like in the beginning um john played by charlton heston is always like um i don't know the captain of the team like he's always the guy who's like yelling mush and and whipping the the the, i I don't know do you actually whip the dogs you just whip the air to make them go i have no idea how that works okay first of all i don't think you say mush i think you say hike and then no they say mush a thousand times in this movie but I mean, it in real life. I think you actually supposed to say hike. Oh, I think pro- I don't yeah. think mush is the right. Pro- yeah. Possibly. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not correcting you. I'm correcting just like the this movie's inaccuracies. Although I think it they it was a pretty like realistic realistic. Well, depiction. actually, I'll Mr. Tell you. London, uh, you say hike and not mush. I have been to the Yukon territories. My okay. my family no, is I'm, French I'm Canadian. Say- <laughs> of course, Jack London would know about this shit more than I would. <laughs> but I don't think. I, I think in the text, whatever it is, is correct. But I think this movie adapted it inaccurately. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, they yeah. made plenty of films about the Yukon by this time. So like kind of maybe the, the popular lexicon was mush. Right. I mean, that just happens. Sure. That shit and, happens. Um, um, what was I talking about first? So what I was talking like about, the-, the scene, I, who cares what you're talking about? But... <laughs> <laughs> There's one scene where they're sledding and uh, Pete is always kind of in front of the dogs and he's kind of like just oh, like right. getting them to go that's, or something. I don't know if that's what that, people do either. Yes, that is directly from the book. Like, And I, I was surprised when I had first read this because like, you don't actually ride in a sled like the whole time. Okay. Um, I think the, the primary advantage for a dog, like, like having a dog team is that... Um, Yes, they pull the sled, but it's that you don't have to pull all this shit. And like you like they're they're just pack animals and like one person does run alongside the dogs. Yeah, that's and what then Pete they switch. Does. They're supposed to you're supposed to like switch off when you get tired or if you're sick, you can, you can ride in the sled. But um but yeah, the idea is to preserve the dog's strength as much as possible and um that that was like a cool thing to see because like the predominant image is just like people ride on the sled like a sled like not running beside it yeah and that's what's interesting about it like we generally have like this notion that it's just like 
a very solitary venture. It's just like a man and his pack of dogs. But, you know, it's obviously it seems like a lot for just one person to do. And here we have the two people. We have Pete who runs alongside um, the dogs. And, and then this is where the homoeroticism comes in. He gets too tired and like he jumps onto uh, the sled at one point. And just like the way he's like leaning back and just like the, the placement of like his head and then like yes. Charlton Heston's body. I just like expected Charlton Heston to like lean over and just like plant a kiss on him. And I just, I was like, just do it for me. Just do it for me, Charlie. You got it. You got it. You could do this. No, that's, yeah, I can, I can see that. And just like the, the idea that they're so close and like they sleep together every night. Yeah. Every, they sleep in the same like, tent in, together. In the right. Like, but I mean, you have to, you have to yes, live in that, true. in that kind of situation. I, I think there is a, there is a version in this movie that is basically Brokeback Mountain in the Yukon. Mm, okay. That'd be good. Um, I will say the one main divergence between the book and this adaptation is that um, John Thornton, um, and I don't even think Pete exists in the book, but John Thornton does not buy Buck initially. Buck goes through one or two other owners, um, including mercedes and like her brother hal um before he even meets john thornton oh okay okay yeah Yeah. so in this version what happens is they buy buck and a dog named spitz um i guess Mm -hmm. i assume they have the other dogs already um and then they but i think no they they buy a whole team i think the whole team okay so they buy the whole team so they can transport the mail to dawson city um, which is kind of, I think, a newer part of the territory, a newer uh, town in the territory. Um, and along the way, they um, not a lot hap- happens actually along the way. More, I guess, happens after they get to Dawson City. Um, there's one cool part when they are on the way to Dawson City, and that is like this valley of like dead horses. Yes, that was a freaky image. It was like. It was it was like something out of Dark Souls almost like <laughs> yes. there was this, um like this tall very flat wall of rock there were two of them that kind of like intersected and formed kind of a valley thing but we only see the exit because like John Thornton and Pete they're riding out um and then the camera pans down and like along the trail where they're riding there's just like bones and skeletons and like like abandoned supplies and shit yeah and I mean you actually see like horse heads and horse bodies and yes. my understanding is that uh these pieces of of horse carcasses came from slaughterhouses um so very very godfather-esque um you know the famous yeah, horse yeah. head scene that was an actual horse head from a slaughterhouse a glue factory or something like that um and i don't know i have Damn. one unpopular opinion about this that like it's not bad to do that i don't know it's like the animal's dead already i mean i get like maybe we don't need glue factories or whatever crazy shit you do with like horses i mean you know maybe you can rehabilitate a horse instead of just like shooting it and i don't know maybe not though horses are delicate creatures so you know if they're gonna die and they're gonna be turned into glue like i don't know use some of their parts for a movie yeah for sure um and I don't think like film productions featuring dead horses, there's enough of them to like, oh, to say like, oh, they're 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 perpetuating the the horse killing like behavior because like there's such a need for it, you know? Right. It, it's a pretty it's a pretty fringe thing. So what what I'm saying is like, yes, I don't con- 
no, I don't consider it unethical. Just like, just like you know. Yeah, it's just, it's just, they already dead the horses. You know, I mean, what are you gonna do yeah. with dead horses? I mean, we got a lot of glue already. Uh, put them, I don't know. Put them in your Dark Souls movie. <laughs> um, and also, what what's kind of uh, grisly about this uh, this image is that the the implication is like the 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 stranded people they see have started eating the horses. Right. Because they're yeah, because they're they're starving and they're they're stuck. Yeah, and those people ha- like ask them like, oh, how long did you it take you to get this far? And they're like, oh, it took us six right. days. And and the people who are stuck there eating the horses are like, we've been here for thirty five days, or it took us thirty five days to get here. Yeah, um, that's actually something else I really liked about the the movie. Um, the way it, it it portrays like communal camp life and like life in nature. Um, it I, it felt like very realistic to me. Yeah, um, well, I'm allergic to all nature. I hate it. So, uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I, I like nature. I, I can see that. Yeah. Um, does that remind I'm you of your Boy Scouts? My... <laughs> yeah, you, you got there before I could. I'm thinking specifically of my time of, like, going to Boy Scout camp, and there's some kind of, like, ad hoc society structure that's put in place. But, like, not really and like you can kind of do whatever you want up to a point but there's still like obligations to other people it felt it felt very natural yeah. and, and it, yeah it captured did that. you go to any of like the big jamborees in new england you know i know like regionally they're like jamborees like i went to one on long island yes. that was like all of the troops of like the tri-state area you know so that's like new jersey new york connecticut come to long island for this summer right. jamboree did you do those yes i did um so the count they're they're done by count like councils which are like different regional groups um i was part of daniel webster council because i went to uh it was the new hampshire troop yeah yeah um and yeah there there were like regional jamborees there are like um ones just just for states so like oh all new hampshire got together but then there are regional ones and then like every so often they have like they call it the world jamboree but it's usually just like the united states jamboree right but um, was that the one that was in west virginia other... like two years ago that trump started talking about like levittown yes. like daniel levitt and he yes. was like hey folks i saw daniel levitt do crazy things crazy things on a boat <laughs> once i can't say, i'll stop i won't say it but the boy scouts i love them i love god <laughs> that's not a bad trump thanks um, thank god i've been perfecting it four years i bet i bet um, but yes, that, that was the, the event that Trump said that. Up. Yeah. Yeah. I think my region was the, um, the Benjamin Talmadge region and he was like part of the, the Culper ring. Council. Like, yeah. uh, he was like the spies, Washington spies that, that, that show turn is mm. about during their, their oh, and it's what that, and yeah, so he, he was in Assassin's Creed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he was. Yeah, I think I think Benjamin Talmadge was. I had to like say a little speech about Benjamin Talmadge in front of everybody. I was so nervous. I had it written down. I practiced it like for days, but it was literally like three lines about Benjamin Talmadge in the Culper Ring. <laughs> How old? Like, what, like was this last year? To, to, yeah, it would to somebody it still would be. I'd still be that nervous at at twenty nine years old. But no, I was probably like ten. Mm, okay yeah um there are no boy scouts in this movie so yeah. however but there is there are no boy scouts uh, in the wilderness movie, there the, are uh there are tents uh there is camping and campfires so yeah there are no boy scouts in this movie and soon there will be no boy scouts in real life because they got the shit sh- the suit out of them for all the sex abuse molesting scandals they have to Jesus deal with Jesus christ yep they are bankrupt and um i'm not 
too disappointed about that. No, so. I mean, disappointed about the sexual abuse, of course. That sucks. But, but yes, uh, obviously. But as, as and as an Eagle Scout, I'm qualified to make this call. That's uh, true. Yeah, just it, it's fuck them. It's not worth it yeah. anymore. You are in the uh, the hallowed halls of people like uh, Steven Spielberg. Steven Spielberg, yep. Um, Neil Armstrong is the other famous one. Um, I don't think any presidents were Eagle Scouts, but like the the idea is like when you get your Eagle Scout badge, you you, you were supposed to get like a a letter from the president. And I I should see if I still have this. Is it Bush? My letter from I my letter from Bush. Nice, nice. <laughs> oh W. Oh my God, that would. I mean, yeah, the timeline lines up. I got it in t- uh, 2005. Yeah, I got, like, one of those, like, uh, presidential, like, uh, academic award nonsense mm. things two years in a row, and they were both under the uh, the Bush administration. So my parents have uh, two certificates uh, with uh, George W. Bush's uh, signature on them. <laughs> Hell yes. <laughs> on our wall uh, in a room that is mostly devoted to me, the only child. <laughs> god what a what a fucked up world we live in b we're revealing a lot about our our inner uh psyches here in this episode <laughs> that that is the call of the wild folks it, yeah we're, we're grap- it calls we're out all this with, weird shit we're grappling with nature our, our existential natures here um all right so anyway they yeah get back to, to, to they get to dawson city okay um i can and i can tie this in too um they meet a lot of these like uh very greenhorn people and they're called tenderfoot um, and that's the first rank when you're a Boy Scout. Oh, so that's a tie in there. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So in Dawson City, they meet a lot of tenderfoots. Um, mm-hmm. They meet the somewhat antagonist of this movie. I mean, not like the main antagonist. I think the main antagonist is nature, folks. Um, uh, I the the Lundian line wouldn't be that nature is an antagonist. It's it's nature gives you obstacles but it also doesn't actively try to harm you so like i guess yeah i guess you could say antagonist it's, it's not a villain though wow. so all which is to say is yes you're right yes yes i'm right wow this is what i put up for, for about 10 years of my life now <laughs> yeah but i have to tell you how you're right and why i thought you almost weren't <laughs> i appreciate that that is that is some okay. affirmation right there yeah um, so um, they meet Black Burton, uh, which is an amazing name, mm-hmm. um, and he is played by a uh, very Latino man, um, <laughs> who I doubt that is what he has written as in uh, the book, but uh, that is what that's the cast they had. Actually, a, a lot of this bullshit is um, is apparent, and we should mention that Jack Lennon was pretty fucking racist, and he got more so at the end of his life. Um, but th- a lot of this stuff isn't in the book, like the. The love story that that character um, isn't in the book, and in this like specific villain Black Bart guy, he's not. Oh, really? There. He's not in the book either. No. Oh wow. There there are other dog thieves that like kind of move buck from one one owner to another, um, but they're like they're pretty nondescript. Interesting. So yeah, Black Burton's not in there, and then the. Um, showgirl uh calliope who we meet in this scene as well she's not in the book either correct the only female character is mercedes which says a lot about jack london's attitude towards women but but he had notorious mommy issues as well yeah wow jesus christ this year has been a very literary year for us and um the the through line is like uh 
literary heavies who have mommy issues. Yes, yes. literary heavies who suck in some way. <laughs> but I mean that that's that's redundant, right? That's like that's the world of literature, I think. Yeah, that, that that's fair. Um, yeah, so we meet uh, Blackburton. He's um, just kind of your your usual scoundrel, and then uh, we also meet uh, Calliope Laurent. I think is her last name. Uh, yeah she's a dreaded she's a dreaded european yeah she's very french and um john thornton charlton heston falls in love with her uh she wants to uh make her own hotel um so she can you know get out of the life of just uh simply being a showgirl more or less um or at least like i don't know have something to show for it i'm not sure why she wants a hotel but um i think i think it was that i think it was partly also like um like imperialist ambition just like that's what you do you kind of like yeah you 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 settle because like it was a tent city right at this time before the time skip where um where we see like more buildings including her hotel eventually is built right yeah um but in this scene um blackburton is just um you know he's like hey man you gotta work for me or something and john thornton's like Mm -hmm. no i don't want you to oh he's he's a that's right he's a bootlegger that's what Blackburton is. He's a bootlegger yes. and he wants John and Pete to run liquor for him, which would be right. like a hundred dollars a bottle, not even like a cask, yeah. but like a bottle. Yeah. Um, and they're like, no man, we, we got this mail contract. That's what we want to do. Uh, and then we right. want to get into like the lumber business or at least John Thornton wants to get into the lumber business. And Pete wants to go back to uh, panning gold, for gold again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so Blackburton is pissed off about that. And he hires um, two of the, like, maybe five fail sons who are in this movie uh, to yes. capture the dogs. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and they do. Um, and on the way to bringing them to the new town or whatever, one of them dies. Yeah. Promptly. He just, he just like, falls off a cliff. And we yeah, don't really see him. Yeah, this is great. We just never see him again. <laughs> And then the second one, by the time the dogs, the dog team instinctively pulls the sled into town, he's frozen solid attached to the sled and he's dead too. Yeah, it's pretty great. Someone like just pushes him over and he, he just falls <laughs> yes. and we get this great reaction shot of this woman just screaming like, ah, yeah. Um, There's some good like crowd work in this movie, like good yeah. crowd reaction parts. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then the dogs um, just like some another uh just random roused about just like takes the dogs he's like they're mine now i'm gonna go sell them and he just like yeah like an, like an italian accent or something <laughs> he's like they're mine they're mine now i take them like i, I lay a claim <laughs> yeah yeah he says i lay a claim like five times uh and then he like writes up a, a letter to post on the town bulletin board about like a an auction um and, right. and he auctions them and this is when um Hal Mercedes and Mercedes's husband, who I don't remember his name, um, they arrive on the scene. This is when a lot of um, we're introduced to more of like the the weird rich people, um, and there's like there's just some funny lines of dialogue. Like there's just oh, these Charles two, is our Charles. Is our husband. That's right. Um, there's like these two rich people, nondescript, non-named characters who are just like talking about how they're going to get rich. And one guy's like, Oh man, I heard, I heard the gold grows on bushes like gooseberries. <laughs> just waiting to be plucked. They, that, they have a whole weird dynamic, man. Like Mercedes is in love with, 
with how she wants to fuck her brother. Yeah. Clearly. Yeah. She <laughs> just, says at one point something about like him being manly and that her husband isn't manly. <laughs> He, she cucks her husband for her brother. Yeah. It's just like <laughs> it's pretty crazy. So they buy the dogs for like three thousand dollars, which seems yeah. substantial to me. Yeah. Um. Even for this time period. Um. And then because yeah, they they have like a ton of shit because they're rich. I mean, they just brought everything with them. They brought like a stove and like you know loads and loads of clothing. Um, yeah. And they they don't want to leave that in Skagway. They want to bring it with them to Dawson city. Um, and they get a lot of mileage out of that gag where they're just kind of lo- loading everything up on this, this sled and all the, the townsfolk who've, who've done this a thousand times are just like, well, that ain't going to work. You know, first of all, the skis are frozen. Yeah. They, they clearly are in over their heads. And um, they're like, like I was saying with the crowd work, some like other characters in the background are just like laughing at them. Yeah. Like the entire time they try to do anything. There's the one old man when they actually, they do get the skis unfrozen of the sled um, and a bunch of shit falls over. This one man grabs a hat box, takes like this feathery hat out and he just starts dancing with the fe- the hat on his head and then his wife like steals the hat from him. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> um, so yeah, the, the group is off and they're doing horribly. Um, and something that they mentioned in the movie that is from the book too um after dogs make a long run you're supposed to like let them rest for like a decent period of time like at least like a week or something um but the the greenhorns the tenderfeets they over they they don't let the dogs rest and they overfeed them which um makes them run out of food faster and doesn't give them the rest they need so like they're they're clearly not take like like they from the get-go like the very planning and this is a very like jack london thing they're they're ill-equipped to even try to start right right yeah they have more clothes than they do food um they have no idea how to like you know uh, take care of these dogs um yeah when they're actually on the trail itself one of the dogs just kind of collapses due to exhaustion um and they're kind of all going crazy at this time so hal just like mm-hmm. instead of just saying well let's just wait it out he just like gets a pistol and just like blows this dog's brains out and they're just like well we just have one less dog now yep. um and then they continue on on the trail and by this time uh like wolves are basically like descending on them because they smell that you know these people aren't in uh, the best of shape Right, and um, the the wolves chase them to um, just like a camp at like this designated point. Um, it's it's like on one side of the river, um, and lo and behold, who is it? But it's John Thornton. Yeah, so he uh, he has his rifle, his trusty rifle, his uh, his mm-hmm. NRA. You can pry it from my cold dead hands, Charlton Heston rifle, and uh, he he starts shooting the wolves, which are husky dogs actually, um, and then. Um, Hal is like whipping Buck. He's just like continually whipping Buck to get up. Um, and uh, Heston realizes that this is his dog. And he's like, I'm going to shoot you if you don't stop doing that. And he gets him to stop. Um, and then Hal's like, whatever, you can have this dog. And uh, Hal, his sister Mercedes and uh, her husband Charles get back on their sled with the other dogs and, and they, they're repeatedly told by Heston, uh, don't go out onto the lake because the ice is cracking. They don't listen, yeah. and they uh, all fall in, into the lake to their death. Uh, unfortunately, the dogs go with them, 
um, that's a, a quite a bummer. But um, at least three dumbass rich people uh, do die. Yeah. Yes. Um, but Buck does not because he survives and um, he's back with John Thornton and everyone's happy. And I don't think Pete is with them at this point, but they, they no. do meet up with Pete um, back when actually John Thornton meets up with Mercedes first. And then Pete is like when they're together, Pete Calliope, just, like, you mean he meets up with Calliope? Yeah. Not, yeah. Not Mercedes Calliope. Like when when they're re- when they have their um when they're reunited and they're kind of like dating officially at this point, right? And Pete just like he just like canoes up to them. Yeah, and he's yeah. like, hey, here I am. <laughs> I think this is also the time when, um, Mercedes, not Mercedes, um, Calliope. Calliope and John Thornton have sex in a bathtub while Buck like watches. Yes, <laughs> yes Buck Buck likes to watch. Um. <laughs> He likes to watch them clean off and get dirty at the same oh. time. Um, but yeah, we get some patented Charlton Heston smooching. Yeah, it's gross, actually, folks. It's kind of gross. Um, he seems like older than he is at this time. Yeah, he, it's just like his face. It's probably all the, like the cigarettes and like the lead paint yeah. from his childhood. <laughs> um, yeah, and we have a fascinating like insight into Heston um, in the, the year this movie came out because. Um, when Charlton Heston was young, he was like liberal. He was like a, like a classic New Deal Democrat. Yeah. But then he he turned conservative and he started endorsing Nixon, which was which would be right around this time. Yeah. No. Nineteen seventy two. I mean, right when this movie came out, he was like, "Nah, George McGovern is too liberal for me. Uh, mm-hmm. I love Nixon. I love guns, uh, and I so dislike brown people." Our theory is that um, this movie black pilled Charlton <laughs> Heston. <laughs> because of all the damn europeans yeah yeah he he ascribed to like a early 1900s version of racism where like europeans weren't white uh once he started the production of this movie and then he was like this is just too much for me so he gets back to the states and he's like you know what i I just can't do it anymore i can't pretend that i like brown people and he just went it's all hardcore for nixon it's all Black Burton. He um he's the one. You <laughs> <laughs> thought he was real. Yeah, he was just doing like method acting, and he was like, "This guy, he's my enemy." Um, yeah. But no, I mean Heston really hated this production. Um, in yeah. at least two of his autobiographies, one that is uh, called "The Actor's Life," and it's actually his journals from 1956 to 1976. He wrote. Uh, We're faced with endless problems of organization, personnel, dogs, publicity. I fear I've fallen in with amateurs and con men. (laughs) Otherwise known as uh, Eastern European. (laughs) This had not been a picture really, but a production deal patched together with incredible adroitness and negotiated skill and no filmmaking talent whatsoever. (laughs) Pretty solid burn. Yeah, I mean he's wrong though because I, I think like I, dis- I disagree, Anakin, but yeah, Ken Anakin's yeah. like a obviously talented filmmaker. Um, I mean, I don't doubt that this was just like a production deal, like a tax write off or something like that. But I don't know, it, sure. like it's a good product. Yeah, it it is. It's it's way better than it has any right to be. Um, it, kind of given everything that went into it, but um, and then another yeah, autobiography, a later autobiography, he wrote that he told all of his friends not to see this movie when it finally came out in the United States. Damn. Yeah. I don't, I don't know why. Maybe, 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't Fuck know. Him. I think maybe he thought like this was just like beneath him at this point. I don't know. I mean, he, Probably, was, a, he yeah. was a fairly large, like major star at this moment. Mm-hmm. Like this is kind of stuff that Clint Eastwood was doing um, a little bit before this, um, before he was big, right? So like you could kind of see him have that mindset like, oh, working with these like no-name Europeans, that's something that like a, right. an up-and-coming actor does, not someone who like, you know, who's a major star. Um, sure. This is basically like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> He's like the Leo character. It is. It is. <laughs> wow. We're cracking all sorts of codes here. Jesus Christ, yeah. man. Yeah. Um, so yeah, anyway, um, the John and Calliope, that romance, it dies fairly quickly because um, we have this incredible sequence where Charlton Heston, he gets drunk and like oh, he's, yeah. <laughs> his insecurity about his girlfriend leaving him or like, or like going back to sex work or something or just like this like this very lurid like striptease that he watches yeah but it's this crazy dream sequence where he got like way too intoxicated he's wearing his like lumberjack outfit but he's envisioning another version of himself wearing like a bartender's outfit um watching calliope strip and then like he brings over like some hooch to her on a platter yes and like she ignores him entirely um, while all these other men like just like leer at her um, and then he just like kind of goes crazy in that moment <laughs> it's a pretty wild way to get yourself out of the the grafted on romance plot that they did for this movie yeah yeah because like i said this this whole this whole character isn't in the book and it isn't in um most other adaptations but like they they added it i don't know if like charlton heston Charlton Heston like wanted um, a romance plot or something like to prove that his character wasn't gay, maybe. <laughs> but like, <laughs> but like the, to to come up with like that very like visceral and very human like like strong human like insecurity, it just like inject that in, and then John's like, oh okay, fuck it, and he it's leaves. Done. Like, I, I had a cuff a dream, so now I gotta go. It's a, it's a bold choice. Um, and it was very like stylistically unexpected. Yeah, I mean, it's so totally different than anything else yeah. in this movie. Like, there's no other yeah. dream sequences in this movie whatsoever. <laughs> no, and they they use like the 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 wavy cam. Yes, that's right. It's yeah, it is strange, um, yeah. but I love it. I, unironically, it's one of my favorite parts of this movie. <laughs> you know, it, it. I'm not like being like like trying to damn with faint praise or anything when i say like it is unlike anything else in the movie it, it just like very is stylistically striking yeah yeah for sure um so this is when he goes back to the dude's rock portion of the film and we haven't mentioned it at all their friend says um who they meet in dawson mm. city the first time they get to dawson city um he's right. just like a random drunk who they entrust with the care of their dogs um, and he doesn't yeah, do a great job yeah, because yeah. as we mentioned earlier, um, the, the dogs are dog napped under his, under his watchful eye, uh, <laughs> but they continue to be his friend. Um, he, he's along for the ride for the majority of this film, either with yeah. John or with Pete or with John and Pete. Um, he has this amazing hat. 
it's like it's kind of like those coonskin caps but i think it's like literally made from like seven foxes put together it is gigantic it's 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 enormous it's crazy um it looks like like this giant cossack set or something (laughs) um but they all go yeah the three of them well he he john and him start the lumber business before this but then they go to pan for gold with pete at this moment yeah and they don't find much um initially but eventually when pete and john split off on their own again um they do find like this half excavated cave that has it actually does have a shit ton of gold in the ground yeah so first they find like a cabin this um totally deserted abandoned cabin that is like full of cobwebs has a gun that they say is older is like 50 years old or something like that then buck falls down the cavern and they uh, find the gold. And I think right before this mm-hmm. also is when Buck has his, like, Lady in the Tramp moment with the she-wolf. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you know what it is? First, Buck wins a lot of money for John on a bet. Oh, my God. And then when How they can we forget are, that? That seems incredible. Yeah, yeah. And then when they're, in, like, just enjoying their money, Buck has... No, when they're paying for gold, Buck runs away and he, like, socializes with... Um, like a hot, sexy lady wolf. Yeah, yeah. But before that, um, sorry, we're jumping around here. Um, this is just as this is uh, the theme of the month, memory, and this is how our memory works. Mm, um, damn. <laughs> damn, that's good. Um, but um, so Black Burton gets bitten by Buck at one point, and um, when he, they bring buck back into town this time to see how um the hotel has been built black burton's like well he bit me you you have to put him down he has to be destroyed um go get the the sheriff or whatever uh the marshal of the town um but instead uh, calliope puts a thousand dollars in john thornton's uh coat and she says uh no john's gonna make a bet and uh, he, he doesn't want to. And this is actually some pretty good acting on um, Thornton's part, or sorry, Charlton Heston's part, where like he really yeah. cares for the dog and like you really feel it. And I think that's yeah. probably because he's not acting and he cares about animals more than he does people, uh, Charlton Heston. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yes. But like he doesn't want to even do this bet because just the thought of betting on Buck like really just pains his soul. But the bet is, and this is, seems like the most Yukon shit in the world to me. I just love it so mm-hmm. much um, mm-hmm. that Buck can pull a sled that weighs 500 pounds from a standing start uh, in yep. two minutes, uh, and he can pull it 100 yards, and it's frozen yep. also. The skis are frozen. <laughs> um. Yeah, that's that's such a good like elaboration. Just adding like thing on top of thing on top of thing, just to make it like really extreme. Um, but I mean, but of but of course, Buck pulls through. Um, and this is a thematic uh, little bit from the book that is repeated here. Um, Buck is able to do it because he actually cares about John Thornton as as a master. Like there is love between them. It's not just friendliness between like. A professional dog sledder and, and like his professional team gotcha. like the okay. the the idea of this like love between man and beast or man and nature i guess to some degree is what allows buck to do this gotcha yeah yeah um it's pretty great 
honestly. Mm. Um, you know, and it helps that like the dog is, is very expressive dog. Um, we got a lot of great, like expressive dog close-ups too. Like, um, I I just assume, um, you know, Ken Anakin and the cinematographer and I don't know, the production people worked with dogs a lot. Um, cause they get yeah. some really great shots of dogs throughout this movie. You really feel their emotions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, that, it's just so fucking dumb to do a CGI call of the wild. I know. Like, I mean, I get it. Like, I think it's more of like a animal abuse question. Right. Cause yeah, I mean, even yeah. like if you have like the best dog trainer in Hollywood, I mean, dogs like probably shouldn't be doing all this crazy stuff. Um, yeah, like the the fighting and shit. But I don't know. Like, it is so much better than a CGI dog. I mean, I'm not saying like fuck animal rights, but I mean, I think movie magic has evolved to the degree where, for a fight scene or for an injury scene, you can composite that around the existing dog or something. Yeah, something like that. I mean, you don't have to do like. Uh, you know like that a dog's purpose movie or whatever which like apparently like really abused the animals right like where like the, the dog Christ. was like drowning or some crazy shit you know like yeah. but like for for shots of like running or just like close-up shots of like expressive movement and shit just use a use a real yeah, dog use a real dog dogs love doing that shit dogs love running yep dogs love emoting mm-hmm. and just being cute like i mean if they're gonna do mm-hmm. it just they might as well do it on camera and they might as well get paid so <laughs> you know like yes. yeah they're gonna they'll get some money out of this they can buy more kibbles and bits i don't know what dogs want i don't have a dog i have a cat and she keeps trying to interrupt this podcast because <laughs> she knows she knows the she knows the subject matter right yeah. now she i will knows. say there's one cat in this movie there is a fat mm-hmm. white cat in one of the uh dog abuse scenes from the beginning of the movie the cat is uh looking very judgmentally at the abusive owner and it's just like on a yes. shed there's also um, a prominent snow fox in one sequence um, because Spitz goes out of control and Buck chases Spitz and um, they start fighting each other because they're, well, they were trying to catch the snow fox and right. then they start fighting each other and the snow fox lives and escapes to fight another day. Yeah, yeah. Spitz is the um, abusive um, initial leader Former, of the pack. Yes, yeah. that um, Buck fights and kills because their rivalry develops to that point. Yeah, yeah. And Spitz had, like, killed two other dogs before that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but back to um, the um, the ending. I mean, really, just kind of the climax of the film here. Um, they find all this gold. Right. They're pulling up all this gold. Um, but little do they know that there are Native Americans who are pissed that the white man has encroached on their territory. Mm-hmm. Um, and they attack and kill um, Pete and John. Yeah. Um, my understanding is that the name of the Indians is the Yeehat Indians. Uh, that is their name from the book. And that is not a real nation of Indians. That is made up and a uh, pretty fucking awful name. Thankfully, they never say it out loud in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, Buck runs. Buck had been away for a little bit, but he, he when he hears the battle going on, he runs back. Um, and he just attacks the, the Indians and chases them off. Um, murders like half of them. Like, yeah. He brutally he, murders he, half of them. He feels the call of the wild and he turns into like where, where and he runs, he just like rips the throats out of like half of them. He jumps from a and, tree um, onto one of them. That was pretty wild. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he climbs up a tree clearly somehow or jumps up there and he, he jumps, he, he descends from the branches, like pounces onto the, the guy. It was pretty good. Um, and then he mourns John Thornton for a bit. And then he sees the hot wolf lady and they run off and that's and it. She had kids. Like she had his, oh, yeah, she his had, babies. She had, they, she had puppies yeah, with him. She had puppies yeah. with him. Um, it's like a lady in the tramp thing. Yeah, it's so weird. Uh, it's a bit uncomfortable. I'm a bit uncomfortable by that. Um, that's the only part of sexuality I'm uncomfortable with is uh, just like kind of ascribing like human sexuality onto these dogs, um, which it's clear, clearly trying to do. <laughs> um, yes. It was it was cute, though. It was cute to see the dogs run around and the puppies they make and stuff. Yeah, it wasn't as bad as like, look who's talking now right like it's not like that gross level of like human sexuality grafted onto animals <laughs> of of sp- uh, sperm cells talking to each <laughs> other <laughs> like, you know we we uh, could not have done this uh film with uh, a friend of the show molly who was our guest then because she doesn't like uh violence against animals but this would have been correct. perfect because one of her dogs is named buck that's cool. Do you know if it's for Call of the Wild? No, uh, it's for uh, Buckminster Fuller, actually. Mm, okay. Yeah. Another another good book. Um, but yeah, so the, the the movie just ends. It ends really abruptly. Yeah. It's just like a, a shot of the clouds. That's it. <laughs> yeah, like Buck Buck and the wolf run off to go find, or run off with their puppies and like shot to the clouds and like done. Yeah, it's pretty great um yeah I, I i liked it it was very it was very fitting for like what what was going on yeah yeah um and uh then this production company made uh um white fang no they didn't they didn't actually make no. a version of white fang but um that'd be cool if they did if they made a version of white fang with like the same dog uh buck even though it's not mm, yeah. actually a uh, sequel but it's kind of like a spiritual successor to or i don't know i've never read it but it seems like it because like right uh white fang follows sure. th- a dog uh i've never read white fang but wikipedia tells me <laughs> um it's a companion novel and a thematic mirror to london's best known work the call of the wild okay gotcha Actually, that's interesting. Apparently, it's about a wild wolf dog that becomes domesticated as opposed to Buck, who is domesticated and becomes wild. Oh, interesting. That's interesting. Mm. So so it is like a mirror in that sense. Oh, I get why the Wikipedia author chose that. <laughs> <laughs> it's late at night, folks. Um, the more literary We're among sleepy, us folks. here, uh, Nick yeah. is, uh, is slacking. But, you know, he had a long day at work. Give him Give him a break, folks. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I guess one worker of note that we can mention is um, the dog actor Buck, who plays his eponymous character. Did you find that I, out? Did his, was his name actually Buck the dog? Yes. That's amazing. Yes. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah, he did a great job. I mean, he is a great dog. I mean, obviously, he's not supposed to be a German Shepherd, but like, can't hold that against him. He didn't pick to be a German Shepherd. That's not sure a choice he had. <laughs> Uh, Buck was in one other movie in 1980 called Klondike Fever. Oh, so just Yukon movies. That's it. He just does Yukon movies. That's all he's got in his contract. Um, Mm -hmm. And then we also have the um, composer 
Uh, I'm going to try and do my best Italian here. Um, Carlo Rusticelli. That was very good. Thank you. Oh, yes. I think that's how it's pronounced. Um, yeah, it was just it was a great score. I mean, kind of just your standard mm-hmm. action adventure score, except this fucking movie had a theremin in it, and I just like I did not understand why there was a theremin in this movie, but I fucking love it. It's amazing. It it is so out of place. It so, it's like, <laughs> like the last instrument you hear is the theremin, and it kind of mimics like a howl. I think that's kind of why they mm-hmm. went for it. Um, but it kind of works. I yes. I enjoy it. Um, for those of you no, I I mean. I just mean the idea of like a literal theremin in in the Klondike, like on on the trail, like. <laughs> just like. <laughs> yeah, uh, folks, go look up what a theremin is. It's a really interesting instrument. Um, it's an electric instrument that like you play it with your hands, but you play it with your hands in the air. Like you don't actually touch this instrument. It's like pieces of metal and wood. Um, it's it's just it, it's based on frequencies. It's used in a lot of sci-fi films. Um, it was used in the film uh, The Long Weekend, which is about uh, this uh, alcoholic who goes on a bender. Uh, I believe it's called The Lost Damn Weekend. Damn it, I knew I had it wrong. Uh, the Lost Weekend is the name of the film. A Billy Wilder film, incredible film. Go watch it, folks. I think it's one of the first films that has a theremin, actually. And it's not a sci-fi film. Yeah, and uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still. I think that's probably where it got its um, sci-fi association. Yeah. Yeah, um, really weird instrument, um, but I love it. There was a Google Doodle like three or four years ago. It was like about mm-hmm. uh, when it, whoever, I mean, I think the person's name is Theremin who created it. Their last name is about that person's yeah, birthday. Yeah, L- L- Louis, Louis Hey, Theremin. that's why I like this instrument so much. Um, and mm-hmm. like you could like play this Theremin on Google. I'm it sorry. It's pretty cool. L- Leon Theremin. Oh, fuck. I don't like this person anymore. Dumb bullshit. <laughs> it's not your instrument anymore. <laughs> Um, but that's um, that's all we got for workers of note. Um, so, uh, broke recommendation. What do you got here? Uh, dog lovers. Um, I mean, with with the caveat that like there is very probable animal abuse, but um, if you can get past that, um, there are some good dog acting. There's some good uh, dog depictions. Um, and yeah, like we said, we love Buck, and um, we love dogs too. I guess. <laughs> Except for, except for Lewis. Yeah, I mean, I like dogs. Uh, my cat, Celeste, does not. She met a dog named uh, Daisy. Actually, it was a little wiener dog, uh, and she hated it. Yep, she was not a fan of Daisy. They only met mm. between uh, the French doors in my kitchen. Uh, they, mm. they were not in the same room, and they did not like each other. They just stared each other down. Yeah, you can actually uh, go to our Instagram, and you can see a photo of them. Actually, I, I tweeted yeah. that out um, last summer, and I made a Brian De Palma joke. Because uh, <laughs> uh, I'm a normal person. Um, so, yes. woke recommendation um, for any of you budding anarchists out there. Um, I would say this is kind of... Um, it falls somewhat in, in the camp of, like, uh, anarcho-primitivism and uh, some somewhat anarcho-communism yeah. as well. Um, although yeah. I mean, some ANCAPs might like this just because like everybody's trying to make money and gold and shit like that. Yep. They're all they're gold they're, bugs. Right. They're like um, they're the crypto yeah. fascists, like the <laughs> Men- Menson mold bug or whatever who we just talked about in our uh, previous episode. Um, yeah. Oh god. But we have to look up his actual name because it's it's 
Mendius Moldberg. Something stupid like that. I was his website's still around. Like you can still go to his blog. Yeah. Um but yeah, so like if you're a budding anarchist and you you want to believe in uh, some kind of uh, collective society free of unjust hierarchies, more or less. I mean, obviously, you know, this film doesn't depict uh, entirely unjust, uh, entirely uh, free, uh, unhierarchical society, but it has like a roadmap for how you get there. Um, um, yeah. So yeah, this uh, this is a, a fun film for all of you who uh, want to play out your. Uh, anarcho-primitivist uh, uh, lifestyle uh, in, in, in Yukon form. So, uh, But in if they were true anarcho-primitivists, how could they even watch this movie? Oh. Is that really what they would believe? Like they wouldn't even want to watch a movie? I, that's, fuck that then. I'm, 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 I'm sure there are more nuanced gradations of this, but like maybe maybe the most extreme people do take it that far yeah. but i that that se- that seems like kind of a caricature probably yeah it's like the unabomber mm-hmm. or some shit right um bespoke recommendation is for uh i guess any younger kids in the audience yeah like that happens but like for <laughs> your your brother <laughs> hello <laughs> my brother maybe yeah paul you better be listening to this <laughs> I, I just told you to start listening but yeah, I guess any younger kids who, I mean, I'm making, I'm explaining this like it's a serious point, but like any younger kids who like want to learn survival skills or want to get a feel for survival skills in the desolate wasteland that's, uh, that's coming down the pipe at us, um, because of global warming. Um, well actually climate change doesn't always mean global warming. And that's, this is my point. Um, it means more extreme temperatures of in, in either direction. So like, certainly blizzards and snowstorms would become much worse under global warming. So this is like the winter version. Mad Max is the summer version for what kids are going to be doing in 30 years. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, you know, and uh, I don't know. I think I'd want to stay in the winter version, to be honest. I don't know. It oh, seems yeah. more fun yeah. to me. Um, yeah, and like... I guess like an Alaskan climate, like the, the northern boreal climates in in spring and summertime, they're pretty nice and warm. Right. It's just, it only gets really uh, like frigid and unlivable, like starting in fall. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but at least like there's still trees and things. Mm-hmm. I don't know, like a desert climate. Like, I don't know. I don't, I just couldn't do it. I mean, right. I'm from, you yeah. know, I'm from the Northeast. You're from the Northeast. Couldn't do it, folks. But I'm... Um, I'm really into Dune, so I couldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm really into Mad Max, so maybe it's, you know, depends on the day. If I, yeah, if I had a magic uh, suit that would process my urine so I could drink it and not die. I mean, you could just do that without the suit. It's really up to you. <laughs> but the suit's cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, the, so I guess this is like an interesting anecdote that's kind of relevant. We can close out the episode. Um, when I was in Boy Scouts, I used to go camping in the winter sometimes. Um, and like the coldest it ever was um, when I went on a February camp one year, it got down to like 20, 25 below. Nice. Yeah. And I like, I like to even go on a camp out. I had to buy like a specialized approved thermal bag. Um, but one one like one of these uh, February campouts, I was wearing, <laughs> I was wearing like new boots, and I was so happy. I'm like, oh, I got these new snow boots. Um, they got a little too wet, so I put them up by the fire, like wearing them just to dry them out, and I melted the damn soles <laughs> off the bottom of my boots. 
<laughs> because they were too close to the fire and they were so good at like insulation that I couldn't really feel that they were melting. Incredible. Yeah. So like I, I deformed the bottom of my new boots just cause I got them wet and I was a greenhorn, a tenderfoot. I'm like Jack London and I couldn't, uh, I didn't know how to drap my boots. Yeah. Well, it's pretty obvious you hadn't read Jack London at that point in your life, huh? Correct. I was reading Star Wars, um, expanded universe novels. <laughs> well, when uh, when we go to space with uh, Elon Musk, then uh, we will uh, lean on your expertise there. Oh boy, can't wait. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was Call of the Wilds, um, a weirdly enjoyable and resonant movie. Yeah, I mean it's worth checking out. Uh, like I said, it's on like three to four different services. Um, you can watch it on yeah. YouTube. Um, the quality is a little degraded, but it's not terrible. Um, you can watch it on Amazon if you have Amazon Prime. Um, you can mm-hmm. watch it on this free service called Tubi, T-U-B-I. Uh, and I also believe it's on Daily Motion. So have your pick, folks, such as capitalism. Uh, <laughs> you can't you can't say that you can't find it. That, that if you if that's your excuse, yeah. don't even don't even say yeah. that. It's only like an hour forty. Um, it's a rollicking good time, and it's Charlton Heston not being in his, racist in his in his element. <laughs> yeah, very say. much in his element. Um, on the precipice of his extreme racism. Um uh, and. I'd also say read the book. It's it's a very good book. It's a classic for a reason. Um, and it was written when Jack London was less racist and much more socialist than he turned out to be. Yeah. There you go, folks. This is our shining endorsement. So uh, <laughs> join us next week for a much less literary episode. I will say, actually, it's probably the yeah. uh, antithesis of literary. <laughs> <laughs> to put it mildly yes <laughs> but it's it's very exciting you should all be excited um it's a film near and dear to my heart i'm obviously not going to give it away um but it's directed by one of my uh most favorite directors of all time um and uh it is from the uh halcyon days of the early 2000s <laughs> yes it is an interesting pick one that we both seen before and uh I, we will get a lot out of it i think yes but until then Thanks for listening. Bye, folks. The Indians in this frozen land tell of a ghost dog which runs at the head of the wolf pack, and they are afraid, for it has more strength than any wolf, more cunning than any dog. No one knows from whence he came, nor why he stays.